Man, give it up for the worship band. That's, I mean, what a powerful song, right? We'll be with him again, right? Like that's, I, I love worship. Like some of you should know what it means. I, I get pumped up for worship. I love it so much. So thank you, worship band. I know you guys don't do it for the thank you, but you guys put so much work in, and we're so thankful to have an amazing worship band, you guys. And uh, this morning, we're going through Galatians 2.20, and uh, just a little preface of what this message is is when we were at CIY, which was three weeks ago now, which is a long time, but we went to Move first, which was high school, we had a week off, and then we had Mix right after it. So it's been a long month for me. And so, uh, but they taught this this theme, nevertheless. Uh, A couple years ago, uh, I uh, was, man, I don't remember how old I was. (laughs) I guess it's the term of getting older, right? Like, as you forget how old you are. Um, um, but I had a friend who worked at Mardell Christian Bookstore. Does anyone know Marbit Mardell's? Anyone know? Okay, I think it's just a southern thing, but they're no longer anything. Uh, but it's a Christian bookstore. They just sell Bibles and devotions. And one day he tells me he's working at Mardell's, and an older lady walks in, and she walks up straight to him and asks him this. And remind you, he's going to Bible college at this time. And she walks up to him, and this is a true story. She goes, I'm looking for the Bible that Jesus read out of. And he's like, um, hmm. He's thinking, okay, maybe Hebrew or Greek. So he's trying to be a good salesman, right? He's like, oh, here's some Greek and and Hebrew Bibles. She goes, oh, no, I think you misunderstood. I want that King James Bible, the only good Bible, Jesus' Bible. And I thought that was so funny because we didn't grow up like with King James. We grew up with the NIV. And, uh, but this passage this morning, and, and through CIY, they used the King James Version, which I thought was really cool and impactful because it has this word, nevertheless, in it. And so we're going to read the passage this morning, Galatians 2.20. Um, you can have whatever. Do you have any KJVers in here? Who's got a KJV? Anybody? Oh, that's what I'm talking about. Let's go. Let's go. I'll be praying for you guys. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, Vicky's coming after me. Um... <laughs> But no, uh, I love the KJV, and I've grown to really love how poetic it is and how it uses the words of our language to so explain who God is. Um, but I don't own a KJV, and so, uh, but we are reading from the KJV, so it will be on the screen, and whatever version you have, you follow along with me. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll read it together. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life now, which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. God, thank you. Thank you for this letter to Galatia. That though we may just think as a letter in the past, God, but Lord, it applies to us today that we were once dead, nevertheless we now live because of you. And you live through us. And God, that term, nevertheless, is such a powerful one because without your son and the, what he did on the cross for us, there is no nevertheless. We are, in, we are dead. And that is our, our destination. But because of your son, nevertheless, we now live and you are the one who lives through us. God, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your love. And I pray over the message this morning. God, would you speak to the hearts of many, and will we glorify you with the way we change our ways and, and walk in a way of faithfulness? We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So that term, nevertheless, 
Uh, I haven't heard it a whole lot. In fact, I probably have barely heard it at all before going to CIY. And nevertheless means all the same. Uh, a lot of our translations has taken that, that word nevertheless out. So my translation, ESV, doesn't have it in there. But or it's either replaced the word with the word term yet. So what it means is the first part is true. Nevertheless, the second part is also true. That it is all the same. And I think that's so impactful that I am dead. I am crucified with Christ. Because of my sin, that is the destination I deserve. Nevertheless, I live. Not, not I that lives, that Christ lives in me. And I think that's so, like, we need to, to look at this passage and, and realize, like, I have not really heard many gospel presentations using Galatians 2.20. But it is the gospel. It is exactly what the gospel is, that I am not dead in my sin anymore. When I live for my Lord and I lay my, my life down for him, I now am not dead anymore. I live for him. And it's not that I live. It's, it's not Austin's blood. It's his blood. And so just an air of honesty, this message this morning is a simple one. But I think it's when we miss how something is so simple yet so impactful to our lives, we miss the, the power that God has in it. And, and so often, uh, I've looked at, like, and I've heard messages taught to students, and, and being the youth pastor and, and at CIY, I just kind of offhandedly didn't pay attention sometimes. But when I did pay attention, and I did listen to what was being said, I realized that I needed to pay attention. That I was so focused on the kids paying attention, but it was also impactful for me. And so we're going to kind of go through the, the topical messages they bring through this passage this morning. And, and I think when we miss how it has impacted our kids, we miss how it impacts us. And so I want to go through the, the topical messages this morning and, and why this passage is so impactful. Us, that the gospel is alive within us, that God lives within us, even though we are dead. And so... My question to you this morning is, how is something dead yet also alive? That, that contradicts every scientific theory, that contradicts uh, all of our logic and thinking, but how is something dead and yet alive? I went to the doctor uh, this past week. I had not been feeling good, some sinus issues, but I also have this issue with my nail. I know you can't see it, uh, but it's my ring nail my ring finger nail, and it's had this issue for a long time, but it started going really bad recently. And this might be a little TMI, so I'm sorry if it kind of squeamishes you out a little bit. But I went to the doctor, and she looked at it, and she said, well, you had what's called a, a splinter uh, hemorrhage, and it destroyed your nail bed. I don't know. She said it could have happened a year ago. It could have happened recently. You just hit it somehow, and it, hurt, it killed the nail bed. So for the next six to eight months, your nail is going to be dying and going to fall off. And I was like, that's disgusting. That's awful. That's gross. How can something be alive yet dead at the same time? And yet we all walk here believing that. That the person that we once were, we died to that. That the sins that we once had, we died to them. And when we live for Christ, when he is our Savior, our Lord, and we accept him and we say, God, I want to live for you, we then are alive again. We are anew. 
How is something alive and dead? I can't tell you, but Jesus made it happen. And so often when we miss the impact of what the gospel means for us, man, we miss waking up in his presence and living our lives out to him. I know that's true for my own life, that when I don't wake up and think about what the cross actually represents, I miss how I live for him daily. And so in this passage, we have to, to, to sit in it a little bit and, and realize that there is a, such a deep meaning within it. That if you're holding on to past sins or past strains or the past self who you are, if you've accepted Christ in your life, you're no longer that person. That is not your identity. You are dead to those things, and you now live in him. And what that also means is that death is not your destination anymore. That living is your destination. And it's not your life, but his. I think when we always look at a passage, especially one of uh, Paul's writings, I'm a little biased. I love Paul. I love hearing how he writes to people. But I think it's always good when you read scripture to understand the context of why it was written and who it was written for. So Galatians is written to the church of Galatia to a fairly new church. They were struggling, and Paul had heard uh, talks about struggling with false doctrines. People coming in and, and teaching, maybe not wildly different things, but small, lawful different things that were holding to old law and not the new law, the new covenant that Jesus had created. And so he writes this letter to Galatia all about their faith. And he does three different things in Galatians. He first defends the authority of Jesus. Then he defends the, the doctrine of salvation, which is what we read in, in chapter 2, verse 20 the doctrine of salvation, the basis of what we believe and why we believe it, who saves us. And lastly, he exemplifies or explains how to live a Christian life out of faith. And so he, this whole letter is about faith, about putting our faith in Jesus. It, it lays out what the gospel represents and what it is and what we, how we should change and live for him. And so when we read that, we should know that this is the gospel in Galatians 2.20. Like, it's exactly what it is. And it's not just speaking to the church of Galatia. It, it is so diving into our heart. We've, I think we've, some of us have grown in church so long. Maybe this is your first time here this morning. I'm so thankful you're here. And maybe this is your first time ever hearing what the gospel is, that Jesus died for you and that you are dead to your sins, but you can now live freely with him. But some of us have grown up in the church our whole life, and we've heard the gospel many, many times. And what something that I, I've been coming to work on in my own life is to be reminded of the awe of God, to be in awe of him, to be reminded of the power that the gospel represents, that you no longer have to live the way that you did in your past. You now live with him. And so we're going to go through each one of the, the days, the topics that they brought through this message. And I think it's really impactful because it all lines up with Galatians 2.20 and being nevertheless. So the first day, they talked about we are weak, nevertheless, Jesus is for us. And there was an Irish guy who, who taught us at Move, awesome dude, awesome guy, and he had a really thick accent, but he always said postures. He said that word. I like, I like how he says it too, so I'm going to say it like that. But he taught us these postures. We are weak. Nevertheless, Jesus is for us. 
And you know, when you go to camps like this, it's, it's silly. Like, everyone's doing this, everyone's putting their hands out, and it's just kind of like, he's making us do this, and it's like, what does this representation mean? And as I'm holding my hands out, I'm realizing that there are things that I am holding on to, and I'm not laying at Jesus' feet. He says, we are weak, but Jesus is for us. This, this posture is one of vulnerability. I know I've only lived here for six months, so I can, I, I don't know if you guys would accept me as a Midwesterner yet, but Midwesterners are strong people. When you guys live through a winter that's negative 30, I'm going home, okay? I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm flying back to Texas for a week and coming back. But you guys are strong people. Some of you guys are physically strong. Some of you guys don't look like you have a, a muscle on your body, but you've been working so much your whole entire life. And then when you squeeze my hand Sunday morning, I'm like, please stop. Please stop shaking my hand. Because you're so physically strong. Some of you guys are mentally strong. Some of you guys can go through the hardest battles in life, and you can dig down deep and say, I'm going to work my way through this. I'm going to struggle, and I know it's going to be hard, but I'm going to push through. Some of you guys are mentally or, or, or spiritually strong. When time, when time gets hard and, and, and the waves crash over you, he's the first one you turn to. And you get down on your knees and you praise him in the midst of a storm. I don't see him. I don't know if he's here this morning, but I always pick on Marty South for that reason. Love Marty. He scares me all the time. I walk in this, this building and he's somewhere, right? Like you can feel Marty's presence sometimes. You're like walking. He's like, he's here somewhere. <laughs> and I walk in a room. He's just standing there praying. And I'm like, oh, that terrified me a little bit. But, <laughs> but some of you guys are spiritually strong. What this passage tells us is that we are weak. We are weak. And I know you're like gunning for the door. You're like, Austin, I didn't come here to get beaten up this morning or to be insulted. But we are weak. We are in so in need of a Savior. And the more we realize it, the more we realize that we are in so much need of a Savior that we actually live that life out. In the, the, the uh, speaker who taught this message, he taught there's the spectrum that we live on. We either think too highly of ourselves or we think too lowly of ourselves. And I had never really heard it described like this, but sometimes we think of ourselves that we are strong. We may not think that, but we believe that because we live that out. That when th times get hard, we dig down deep, that we can muscle our way through. Or sometimes we just want to look like the good family who walks into church, right? No one wants to walk in church fighting with their kids. As you fight in the car, you get all roughed up, you get the hair messed up, and then mirror comes out, and you walk right in, and you're like, okay, we're all good. We're all good. If something happens, we're going back out there. Because you don't want to show the messy part of you. You want to be strong. And then if you're the other side, you, you know that you're weak, but it's not just a knowing of your weak. You're in despair. Depression, anxiety filled, because you have seen what, who God is, but you don't believe in the identity he's given you. The beautiful, wonderful person that God has made you to be, you don't see that. 
And so you're either too strong for your own good or you're too weak for who God made you to be. And we need to be somewhere in the middle, knowing that God has made us to be this wonderful, amazing person, that you are so gifted and talented because of him, and your identity is him. And we also need to realize that we are in need of a Savior, that we are weak. So often, I, I like to say that I'm, I know that I'm weak, but sometimes my actions don't show that. Sometimes the way I live my life I, I act very strong and like I have it all together. And I think honestly, like if just another air of honesty, this position has not helped that take sometimes. Sometimes as a pastor, I want to look like I have it all together. That I take this platform and I want to make sure that everyone thinks that, that I know what I'm doing. I don't. I'm weak. The moment we start to realize that we are weak, and Jesus is for us. Like, what does it mean to be for somebody? I asked the student that question, so I'm going to ask you guys. What is, when I say someone is for you, what does that mean? Helps you? Best interest. What was that? On your side. I started asking myself that question, and I started writing down all these things. He's a fighter. He's a great warrior, the greatest of all time. He's a guarder. He guards and protects. He covers. And what's crazy is that question, there is no right or wrong answer because he is all of those things. He is for you. And so why do we, when God is for us, step in the way of him, trying to be for us? If he's the great I am, if he's truly the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, why do we step in the way of, of, of him trying to be for us, being representatives of us? I started to, to write down, why do I not let God be, be for me sometimes? Like, I, I know that I'm weak, but why do I not let God be for me? Why do I try to be for myself and I wrote down this, because my distrust of people is on him. See, sometimes we have people who have destroyed our trust in them. And we put that on him. And we struggle to let him be for us because we sometimes think that he won't be. Or that he can't be. Why would he be? And this verse so destroys that and crushes that, throws that out of the water, that God is for you. He is trustworthy, the only trustworthy, the fully trustworthy, the one who loves you so much that he sent his own blood and flesh down for, from heaven to die for you. We are weak. Nevertheless, God is for us. Isaiah 52, 12 says, For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go out and fight. For the Lord your God will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. He's before and he's after. 
He's got your front and he's got your rear. He's got your 12 and he's got your 6. He's always for you. And this morning, this, this posture of humility, of laying down your life for him, it's hard. This is a vulnerable posture. It's not a fun one. It's not a powerful one. It's one knowing I need God. And knowing we are weak, nevertheless, God is for us. I'm a, I'm a sucker for good transitions. And so each night they taught on something like that, but they had good flow throughout the whole week, and it all tied up together. And so the next message was this. We want control. Nevertheless, Jesus is over us. So everyone, let's do the postures, okay? He made us do the postures. I'm going to make you guys do the postures, okay? So first posture, we are weak. So lay out your hands like this. And Jesus is for us. We want control, but Jesus is over us. We want control, but Jesus is over us. You see, this is, the, uh, this is honestly, I think, the, the type of, or the part of God that we don't really like to look at a whole lot. That he is Lord. Lord over us. Lord. He is Lord. He is so holy and, and knowing and creative. He is Lord over us. And we don't like to have somebody over us. I love my apartment. Because it's my first like home for me. And I take, very much, uh, I take a lot of pride in my apartment. But I'm the Lord of that apartment. In fact, when me and Julio, my aloe plant, have a problem, he's getting cut up. But some of you guys met Aaron last week, and I love that dude so much. He's a little brother of mine, but just like a little brother, he destroys all the things that you have. No joke, this dude broke my door three times in the span of two days. And it frustrated me. I didn't show it to him a whole lot, but it frustrated me. And not only did he break my door three times, but then he was getting a dish out of the sink, and he dropped it in the sink. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? You're going to break my dish. He's like, I'm sorry, dude. I'm sorry. And I had to realize that I was being lured over my apartment. You see, some of us want to be the lords of our homes. We want to be the lords of our household. We want to be the lords of our cars. We want to be the lords of our finances. We want to be the lords over our family, over our children. We want to be the lords of this church. And the truth is, this verse tells us that we have no control. Like, not just a little bit, but none. And he is the Lord. He is the one over us. He is the Father. He is our friend. He loves us so much, but... He is the Lord of our life. And when I think about him being Lord over us, I I think about Jonah. And I relate to Jonah sometimes, and that's not a fun person to relate to in Scripture. I don't know if you've ever heard his story, but it's kind of a rough one. But he so desires control over his life. And every moment when God asks him to do something, he runs away from it because he wants to do it his way or the highway. And what's great about that is none of it's his, his way. We don't like to talk about the God of the storms, but he brings it. 
We don't want to talk about the God of the fish, but he brings it. And he brings Jonah to Nineveh. And he softens his heart. And I think begrudgingly and almost like sarcastically, he brings, Jonah brings the gospel to Nineveh. And then he sits on his tree and he waits for God to destroy the city when God doesn't do that. So often, we want to be lords over our home, and then when things get stressful and anxiety-filled, and we're just like, and then things are not going our way, we lose it, and we get frustrated. And the truth is, is it was never for us to control in the beginning. So why would it be now? We have to trust that he is in control because he is Lord. We are not, he is. This night when we, when we talked about uh, control, when God has control over us, we, we watched this movie called Where the River Divides. And it's this true story, uh, it's replay, but it's this true story of a son in Africa who is now becoming the, going to become the chief of the tribe. He's grown up to be the chief. He goes off to the city to find a job. He comes back with Jesus. And when he comes back with Jesus, it ostracizes him and his father that they have odds against each other because he doesn't live by the traditional ways and he's teaching others about this Lord and he doesn't like that and the elders don't like that. And so his father, the chief of the tribe, decides to do something about his son. He hires someone to give his son poison to get rid of that lineage so he can move on to the next one. What's crazy about this story is his son doesn't die. He lives. And for many days, his wife pulls him out of this place of, of sickness and struggle, and he revives, and they end up leaving the tribe. They leave the tribe because they're terrified. He was just almost murdered. And years later, it cuts to the scene that years later, you see this older gentleman walking up to this door, and you realize it's the chief priest. And he walks up to his son's door, and he sits down in their house. And he asks for forgiveness for almost killing his son. And there's three characters that they pull up on screen for this exact message. It's the wife, the son, and the father. The wife struggles to forgive her father-in-law. I mean, rightfully so. He tried to murder his own son. That's How can you forgive him? The son struggles to surrender. He struggles to surrender to Christ, to, to live for him fully. And the father, of course, struggles with forgiveness. And so they put all three of those pictures on their screen, and they put their titles underneath. And then they ask the kids this question, who do you relate to? Like, what view and what area of control that you need to let go of? Do you need to mend relationships? Do you need to forgive or do you need to surrender? We want control, but nevertheless, God is over us. All right, y'all ready? We are weak. Nevertheless, God is for us. We want control. Nevertheless, God is over us. We are dead. Nevertheless, Jesus is alive in us. Not Wakanda. Jesus is alive. That was their joke, not mine, so I can't steal that. But Jesus is alive in us. This was the night of nights. Like you guys know, when you go to camps like this, this is the impactful night. This is the night that, that really hits home. And, and rightfully so. 
We are dead. Nevertheless, Jesus is alive in us. When we start to realize that when we accept Christ into our life, that we are dead to our sin. And it, it, it's so impactful to realize that, that we are dead to our sin, but, but Jesus is alive in us. And that the cross didn't defeat him. It didn't defeat us. He rose again, and now he lives within us. And they had this, this image, or not image, but they had this illustration where they had these big platforms on the ground. This was at Move. This wasn't at, at Mix. Mix had a different thing, but they had these big platforms on the ground, and the platform had these giant like trucker chains on it. These huge chains. And it had a little passage or a verse on it. And what they told the students is this. Hey, some of you guys are still living, but you're dead. Hey, some of you guys are, are acting like a Christ follower, but you're not. And some of you guys need to give your life over to him. Whether that's for the first time or whether that's something that you need to let go of. Maybe it's a sin that you've been holding on to for so long. And, and what's crazy about sin is it's so comfortable. And we actually, if we were honest with ourselves, we actually like doing sin. But what do you need to let go of tonight? That's what they said. And so with this passage, we see that we were once dead, yet we're now alive. And maybe you've never made the decision before. And this morning is the decision-making process. Like, don't let your, your next step be out of this building without deciding whether you have dropped those things that you've been holding on to sin-wise for him. And what they would have the students do is, is if they've decided to let go of some of the sin in their life, that they were once dead, they now live with him, either a first-time decision or, or, or maybe this is a decision where they're like, they've been holding on to it and they have not told anybody about it. But what they had told them to do was to find somebody to go up to those platforms to pick up the chain, read the passage, have the person read over you, and if you want to drop your dead sin and your dead life and you want to live anew, you drop those chains. And guys, I was pumped. Like it was, I, I can't tell you, you think that like a bunch of chains dropping on the ground would be annoying or, or it wouldn't be a sweet sound? It so was. When you're sitting there worshiping and you hear hundreds, not, not ten, hundreds of chains being dropped, it all it made me think about was my chains. Man, what do I hold on to? What am I carrying that needs to be dropped for him? What, what, what am I holding on to that is dead and I need to be living for him? What do I need to drop for him? This morning... You were once dead in your sin. Nevertheless, Jesus is alive in you. Let him flourish. Let him be alive. Don't hold on to those things. Like I know we talk about each week how this stage is an altar. Why don't we use it? Why don't we drop the chains of our life? Why don't we drop the things that we hold on to in secret that no one else here knows or, or, or hears about or knows that we're struggling with? Why don't we drop those things? Because, man, what a joy stay in heaven that it would be today if we drop those things. 
we are dead. And nevertheless, Jesus is alive in us. Along, going on also with this last night or this last day that we had. So, <laughs> here we go. You ready? We are weak. Nevertheless, Jesus is for us. We want control. Nevertheless, Jesus is over us. We are dead. Nevertheless, Jesus is in us. And we are imperfect. Nevertheless, Jesus is through us. So you can grab someone next to you or high-five them or shake their hand or hug them. That Jesus works and lives through you. <laughs> it's funny seeing like brothers and students hugging each other because they're like, get off of me. Stop. This is embarrassing. We are imperfect. Nevertheless, Jesus lives through us. The person standing for you right now talking is imperfect. In fact, for so many years, this stage was the most terrifying thing on his life. Sometimes today still is. But I know that God is, is working and, and always working through me. You may think that, that you are imperfect but I love that it's a nevertheless moment when you realize that though you are imperfect, God is perfect. And he lives through you. If he lives in you, he lives through you. Galatians 5, this is also the passage, one of the passages they read. They talk about the fruits of the Spirit. And I asked the question to the students, what is a fruit of the Spirit? Not, don't list them off, but what does a fruit of the Spirit mean? What, what is that? Is it a characteristic of Austin? Thank goodness it's not. Is it a characteristic of Seth? No, it's a, it's a fruit of the Spirit. And I think so often I work hard to, to, to have the fruit of the Spirit, but the truth is, is when you spend time with God, you spend time with the Spirit, those things naturally come out of you. That Jesus lives through you. When you spend time with him, he walks and lives through you. I'm going to make fun of her for a moment, and she didn't know I was going to do this morning, but me and Brandon have been dating for about two months now, and we made this joke the other day that we spend a lot of time together, and she's starting to do some things that I do naturally. And they're kind of funny. So she'll say, come on, sometimes. If you've ever heard me say that, come on. She'll say, y'all, a lot. What else do you do? What do you, what do you think? Nothing? I don't do a whole lot, I guess. But when you spend time with somebody, you naturally start to look and act and, and live like them. And, and so my encouragement to you this morning is the fruits of the Spirit are you struggle with. You struggle with letting Jesus live through you. Are you spending time with him? There's that, that commandment that Jesus gives that when you know me, you will keep my commandments. And so often I've thought about that passage because from a son's point of perspective, I know that's a passage or a thing I taught about a couple weeks ago, but from a son's point of perspective, that's like, when you know me, you will keep my commandments. I hear that in that tone sometimes. But what Jesus is saying is this is, hey, when you know me, my commandments just naturally come out of you. When you know me, Man, I just flow through you. And I, you live like how I live because you get to know me. We are imperfect. Nevertheless, Jesus lives through us. 
And as we go through all of this, we go through all the different postures. Man, it's a simple message, but man, is Jesus your nevertheless? Like, are you struggling with being on the left side of that passage, right? I am dead. You're like, man, I, I am. I'm struggling with all. And you're, you're getting down in your, your mind and your heart, and you're struggling with, with seeing the other side of it. But is Jesus your nevertheless so that you may live in freedom? This is the last night of, of, of CIY Move. Uh, they only had five days for Move and four days for Mix. So Move got one more message. And I, I latch on to like one-liners a lot because I think Jesus had a lot of one-liners. And the speaker said this, and I thought it was so impactful, even for my own heart, that we can look at this passage and we can get really down about who we are or who we struggle with. But he said this, know this. That when you struggle with these things, you are never the less. You are always the more. To Jesus, you are never the less. You are always the more. That though you may struggle in your weakness, in your imperfections, in your desire to control, in being dead, though you may struggle with those things, you are never the less to him. You are always the more. And this morning, if you need to take time to lay down, to drop the chains, the other side of you've been struggling with, man, take that time this morning. Like, what is church for rather than dealing with your things with God? Let this place be a battlefield that we struggle with, that we struggle in our sin, but we lay those things down to him. If Jesus is for us, let's lay them down to him. Father, thank you so much for your love and for your mercy. God, thank you for being the nevertheless. And this morning, as we come to sing to you this morning again in worship, would we take time to just be, not just be reminded, maybe it's the first time we've heard this morning of the gospel. Maybe it's the first time we've, we've heard that there's this guy named Jesus, and he loves us so much that he died on a, on a wooden cross for us in a horrific death that we may be alive with you in heaven and have a life of salvation, but not just that, but a life full of your presence and your love and your peace. And Father, there's someone in this room who has never heard that message before. God, I just pray over them. God, would you tug at their hearts? Would you give them the courage to get to know you more? And for those who do know you this morning, God, for the areas they struggle in, whether they, they struggle with letting you be the nevertheless or they struggle with just focusing on their weaknesses, God, would you show them that you are always after them, that they are nevertheless, they are always the more, and that you so love them that even in their weaknesses, God, you're for them. That even in the, the midst of desire and control, you are over. And that even in the midst of them being dead, God, you are alive in us. And lastly, God, even in the midst of our imperfections, you work through us. And so, Father, thank you for this morning. As we sing out your praises, God, would you challenge us in ways that we need to change? We ask all these things in your name. Amen. As we reminded, if you need to use the stage as an altar this morning, man, take that time. And there's nothing holy or powerful about this stage. There's nothing that, but what is powerful is that you are in a place of community 
where God loves you and you don't have to do it alone. So use the stage of your altar as we sing this song. If you need to, chat, you need to, to work on some things and let God fight for you, do that this morning.